0: Hello and welcome to the Strange Boot Podcast. My name is Jason Barnard and that was pilot's version of a Sirius at Eye in the Sky, originally done by the Alan Parsons project. So welcome again, David. It's great to talk to you again. You too, Jason. Nice to be back. How was it revisiting that Alan Parsons project material? How faithful did you go to that? Was it a direct recreation or did you embellish?
1: There are two Pilot Project albums out there. Firstly, we have a Pilot Project, which was recorded by Ian Bernson and myself. Then we have another Pilot Project, and that's keeping the APP connection by calling it a Pilot Project. So the another Pilot Project is just me uh, with my daughter and a couple of other musicians who helped me out. But um, on another pilot project, I decided to be a bit more adventurous with the arrangements. In particular, there was a song I sang called I'd Rather Be a Man. And I never liked that arrangement that we did on the project. In fact, I don't think I even played bass on it. It was a generated bass sound from a synthesizer. And I wasn't enjoying the way we were progressing with the project and bringing in a lot of electronics, whereas before it was very organic, um, having the, the rhythm section, put the tracks together. So... The second album, Another Pilot Project, it is more adventurous. I do tend to change arrangements here and there as much as possible, although not going ridiculous with it. I'm not giving it a disco feel or anything like that. I'm trying to keep to the familiarity of the song. And Eric Wolfson wrote some great songs and great lyrics. It's a shame to
0: mess about with them too much. So re-recording that material actually is one way that you've help to demonstrate the role that you and the band played in terms of shaping that material the first time around.
1: Yeah, Ian and I put the first album together just because we could. We wanted to show people this is the sound of the Alan Parsons project. It comes from the musicians. It comes from Alan's production. And, and, you know, a lot of guitar players can play the guitar and play the parts that Ian played, but they don't sound like Ian Bairnson. They have to have him playing it. It's the same with the bass to a lesser extent because the bass isn't featured so much, although it's still me playing and it's recognisable as me playing. So for us to do a project, as we did, we let people hear, yes, it, the musicianship is important to the project.
0: Our next track, although we'll be playing a, a pilot projects version, is Let's Talk About Me. yes. One of the first songs I,
1: I saw, although Thought Goes Up was one of the first songs. Let's Talk About Me. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a song that I was asked to sing. Eric would write the songs and he would nominate the singers he would like to sing the songs. And I think he thought that that song suited my range. It's quite, There's quite a range in that song. There's maybe two or three octaves involved and um, it's not something that... Um, well, it's it's a struggle, put it that way, it's a struggle to sing a song like that. The funny thing is I've been in the process of writing my memoirs and I have, I have um, 46,000 words. I think I need about 80,000 words before it's classified as, yes, that'll do. And I've called it, I'm going to call it, Let's Talk About Me. Very apt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very apt.
0: And Heroes. So we talked about your vocals But your vocals also feature on, on Heroes then? Yes, I sing Heroes
1: I met Andy Latimer in Abbey
0: Road And
1: he asked me if I could work on a, his album They were recording I can't remember what the album was called And he asked me if I could do it I said, I'm sorry Andrew, I can't do it I'm working uh, flat out But keep in touch And kept in touch And the next album came up And I was available to do it and I got on great with um, Andrew and musically it, it was fantastic. He, he was playing all the kind of music that I really liked and listened to when I was a lot younger. And I wanted to play that kind of music live. So I took it a bit further with Camel and I was with them for about three years, touring with them and singing on three or four albums when, when Andrew moved out to California, San Francisco. I was invited out there to sing on a few of the songs as well. But Heroes was was a fantastic song to sing, and he also wanted me to play my fretless bass, which is a bit of a signature for me. So there I am, singing and playing my fretless bass in my element.
0: (laughs) So it gave you an opportunity to get in touch with a bit more of a progressive style at at times?
1: Yes, exactly that, Uh, into the progressive music that I still love and um, you might talk about Rick Wakeman later but uh, you know that's another area that uh, I really enjoyed musically
0: So next we go towards the mid-80s and a banjo in Keats, the track walking on ice. So is it basically a sort of combination of many of the members of Pilot who worked on the, the Alan Parsons project, but, but with, with Colin Blundstone there as well? Is it as simple as saying that? Kind
1: of, yes. I think um, Eric and Alan knew that we were a bit disgruntled at the fact that um, all the publicity that was being generated for the Alan Parsons project only involved Eric and Alan and so Eric kind of helped us with this Keats project. Keats was one of Eric's favourite restaurants in Hampstead or somewhere and we used to visit there especially after recording at Abbey Road we would go along there with him and eat expensive food in an expensive restaurant. So um, Eric, this was Eric's idea Let's get the guys in a band. Maybe this will appease them a little bit. And he arranged um, a lot of the contractual work and whatnot involved in putting this band together. I was delighted to work with Colin Blundstone. I've always been a huge fan, and uh, and he's such a lovely guy as well. So it was consisted of the members of the Alan Parsons project, along with Pete Bartons, who was a member of Camel, but not well I was working with him. He was invited along to play on one track, Um, but that was it. Um, So it was a great band. I love Peter's writing. We all actually focused on writing, and we were hoping that we'd continue to another album, but for some reason it didn't. Maybe we all had other projects that we were involved in that kind of stops you focusing 100%, you know, But um, it was great to work with that band, with that level of musicianship and and with people that I admired and, and enjoyed working with.
2: with yeah. yeah.
0: and you mentioned the range of projects and working with incredible artists and one of those incredible artists is elton john next we have nikita and the base on this is phenomenal <laughs> and lifts this to another level it's just so prominent in that it kind of really brings that out how did you get to, to work with elton then
1: well i was doing a lot of session work at that time i was working with people like Chris DeBerg and Chris Ria and, oh, there was lots of sessions, that Richard Thompson and lots of things were just coming along that would take up maybe three days here and there. And that was just a phone call from Rocket Records. I didn't know it was Rocket Records. I just had a secretary on the phone saying, uh, Mr. Payton, are you available for a session uh, on, on Air, uh, sorry, it was Sol Studios, Maidenhead. And they gave me the dates, and I said, Yeah, I'm available for that. She said, Okay, then, if you can be there for midday, we'll, we'll see you there. I said, By the way, who's the artist? <laughs> it was a by the way. And uh, she said, It's Elton John. <laughs> How do you react to something like that? Wow. Uh, that was really memorable arriving at the studio, feeling pretty nervous that Elton's going to be here. So I was there pretty early, set up in the studio. And I was leaning over the drum booth talking to Dave Mattox. You might know that name from Fairport yeah. Convention. But Dave and I had done a few sessions together. Dave plays on um, Nikita. And I'm just talking to Dave, leaning over the drum booth, and I felt this presence beside me. And it was Elton John, no more than a foot away from me. He was really friendly, really nice, introduced himself. Dave said, I'm going to wait for a cup of coffee. So he left me... In the studio with Elton And I thought I'll just go over to my Pick up my bass and get it in tune Set it up And I was doing that when Elton walked over to the piano And he just started playing these chords Over and over And I thought oh I better follow him So I did, I followed him And, and this went on for maybe 20 minutes or so And he stopped and he said Great He said uh, I think you've got that tune He said uh, this is the song we're going to record now It's called Gita." And I had picked up my fretless bass just to, you know, I didn't intend using it on the first song, but it just so happened that was my fretless bass and it seemed to suit what he was doing on the piano. So that's the way I used it. And Elton said, Gus, are you ready to record? Gus said, yeah, sure. The studio door opened and then an walked uh, Nick Kershaw. <laughs> he was playing guitar on the song. <laughs> he had been sitting in the control
0: room. Uh, and Elton was nicknamed him Nikita <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first track that you you played with Elton,
1: the very first thing I did with him, yeah, wow,
0: and he wow. was so he was delighted with that piece
1: part he wanted to hear it over and over again when he had the playback for the album, there was a lot of people there um people that you would know the Queen were there, for instance, and Billy Connolly and a few other people you know and and Elton had invited myself and my wife along to the playback. So we went along to the playback and, you know, they would go through the songs that came to Nikita and uh, Nikita finished and Elton said to the tape, stop the tape, stopped," And he said, ladies and gentlemen, he says, I'd love you to put your hands together for David Payton, who played bass on that. I'm so delighted with it. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so proud, so pleased that he's, he said that. And after that um, playback, he they said goodbye to everyone. He said, David and Mary, hang about. He said, I want to talk to you. So we, we hung about and he, and he came over to Mary and I. It was very complimentary to Mary. I love your shoes and things like that. You know? And he said, um, I want to go on a tour. He said, I want a tour. He said, probably for a year. And I want to know how you feel about that, Mary. And uh, that's the kind of conscientious person he was. He wanted to know that Mary was all right with me being away from home for a year. And although it didn't work out that way, you know, I was back for for um, for Christmas and and whatnot. And, and I invited Mary out to um, LA for um, for the gigs we were doing out there, which again was memorable. I was with Elton for three years, and it was like being in Disneyland for three years. You know, you and you never knew who you were going to meet yet uh, next. It was. Um, he introduced me to Princess Diana and to Sylvester Stallone and, and, you know, people that just jaw-dropping people, you know. And it was just magical. It, um, after one of the gigs, he had um, he had a party in the Cartier shop on Rodeo Drive. <laughs> and and you, know, you walk in there, you don't know who you're going to meet, but it's always... A room like Roy Orbison, for instance, you know, just a room full of celebrities. It's just mind blowing.
2: Oh Nakita, you will never know Anything about my home I'll never know how good it feels to hold you Oh Nakita, I need you so Oh Nakita, to 直到高-
0: those mind-blowing moments and the celebrities and the famous people and also the tour you put all that together and you've got live aid elton and, and george michael singing don't let the sun go down on me but y- you were part of the band on that
1: that was the first gig i did with him that,
0: that. the first gig that, so the first song was nikita and then the first gig was live aid <laughs> <laughs> that's not bad <laughs> quite amazing isn't it when i was sitting
1: in rehearsals i could see uh Elton talking to George Michael at the back of the studio and they were looking over at me and then suddenly George Michael started walking towards me and he came over to me and he said, hello David he said, I just want you to know that January was just such a fantastic song, <laughs> he said I played it over and over and over again and it means a lot to me and I'm delighted to meet you <laughs> I said, well, oh, so much George, that's really nice of you <laughs>
0: That's amazing. Mm. So what was it like playing the show? Were you nervous or were you just getting getting into playing and kind of trying to forget about the magnitude of things? Was,
1: uh, I was exhilarated by the whole thing. So uh, yeah, there was a, a little bit of nervousness, but I had complete confidence in myself that I had the ability to carry it off, to work, to work with Elton. And that and it's. I mentioned to you earlier. You know, writing the number one song is the ultimate for a songwriter. Uh, for a musician, the ultimate for me was to be accepted by someone of Elton John's standard, asking me to be his bass player. You know, that is the ultimate. So, yeah, I was exhilarated walking out on stage. I couldn't wait. The smile of my face. You know, I'm Elton's bass player. You know. David.
2: This is one of my favorite tracks of Elvis. It's called "Don't Let the Sun Go Down." I can't lie. No more of your darkness. All my pictures. Seem to fade to black and white. Enjoy!
0: The names, people that you collaborate, just keep going. We have Rick Waitman and Eleanor Rigby, but on this song, you're you're on classical guitar, aren't you? I am. When
1: I first met Rick, it was, it was through a, a friend of mine who had a studio in Reesbury, and I, I, he invited me along and said, "Would you come and just play on one track for Rick? He needs a bass part." And I said, "Yes, yeah, sure." So I arrived at the studio. There was Rick at the desk with the engineer. And he says, Well, just listen to the track. He says, Have a listen to it. And I'm listening to this track and thinking, (laughs) You know, you think one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. It wasn't like that. It was one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It was all over the place. (laughs) And I thought, Oh, this is going to take me a while. And he didn't have a chart for me. He just said, "Uh, What do you think? I said, Yeah, great. I said, I thought I might be some time, right? He says, No trouble no trouble, just get on with it, I'll go, and, I'll go and make a cup of tea so I, I sat and, and worked through it bit by bit trying to put together this complicated piece of music and it worked it sounded good and he was delighted and he asked me to join his band for a tour great, playing progressive music again which I really love to play live, it's fantastic to play complicated music like that and for a To work really well with drums and bass A great thrill to play like that But eventually um, one night We were playing somewhere on the coast Southampton I think it was And after the show Rick said David I'd like to have a word with you Can we go for a walk along the front And have a chat I said sure He said to me "Um, I want to go out on tour And play my music In a kind of classical way he said, I'd like to call the tour the Classical Connection. He says, I know you play classical guitar. He said, would you be happy to play classical guitar and bass on this tour? And, and I said, just the two of us? He said, yeah, just the two of us. And we recorded a few albums together as the two of us. <laughs> I did say to them, I said, um, well, I'll be getting a pay rise. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. He says, I can't afford <laughs> to give you any more. And I was thinking all the time, he's dropping the band, you know. It's just me and him going out together, and he won't get my tight yeah. And I said, but Rick, you've got loads. And he says, well, David, you know, you can be poor even if you've got a roll of rice in the garage. <laughs> that was Rick. He yeah. <laughs> was a bit of a joker. I had so many laughs with him. A, a, a fun guy to work with. We were walking through a shopping mall and um, looking in a window and there's lots of people walk by and Rick's very distinctive. You know, he's six foot three or four. He has this long blonde hair and uh, and he turned to me and he said, chase me. <laughs> and he took off and started running through the mall with me chasing after him. <laughs> and people going, that's Rick like Wakeman. <laughs> yeah, he was a funny guy. We had a lot of laughs and he took me to some wonderful places. We went to Swaziland. Wow. At that time, um, he wanted to, he was asked by a, a South African company to record an album. And I said to him, I, I can't do that because I'm in the union and I'll be banned for life if I go to South Africa. You remember, there was a, yeah. a lot of trouble with Queen and a, a few other bands who did go to South Africa. And I said, I can't do it. It turned out that the um, company agreed to go to Swaziland to do this video for Rick. And that worked out well. So we did it in Swaziland. We also went to Israel and worked with the Haifa Symphony Orchestra. Oh, it was wonderful. It was great doing all these things. One of the perks of being a musician. Mm-hmm.
0: Work on on different artists continued into the nineties, and we've got a, a standard with um "I'll Stand by You" by the Pretenders. How did you get to work with uh, Chrissie Hind then? I just moved. I had been living in London for nine years in Berkshire,
1: and I just moved back to Edinburgh. And while I was um, making arrangements to move back to Edinburgh, I got a call from Fishy's manager, who asked me if I would like to work with Fish and would I do an addition and. and and I thought, oh, that's strange. Fish lives in Edinburgh. And here's me moving back to Edinburgh. It must be fate. So um, we moved back to Edinburgh and I started rehearsals with Fish. And then I got the phone call to say, Will you work with them? Um, will you come down and do a couple of tracks with Chrissy Hine? And I said, Sure. So I went down to work with her. And she wasn't there at the time when I started recording the song, I'll Stand By You. But she arrived. And she said, oh, I really like what you're doing That's really nice Will you play on some other songs And she got together with a producer Looked at the tape box and said, get them to play on this And she was pointing to other songs, get them to play on this And she named about six or seven songs And at that time, I was getting paid per song And I thought I was just flying down to London to do the one song And I ended up playing on seven songs And she said, I have to go away I'll be back in an hour or so And when she came back, she was looking great, and she said, uh, she got her engineer to say to me, ask him if he wants to join the Pretender. (laughs) So um, he asked me, and I said, I really can't. I said, I've just started rehearsals with Fish. We're about to start touring in a week's time. I can't possibly pull out. Well, she threw a bit of a tantrum. (laughs) And I was packing up my guitars in the, in the studio and I could see her in the control room shouting her head up <laughs> at the engineer. Uh, so I, I made my exit pretty quick. <laughs> but turns out she took me off all the songs I had played on and only kept me on the one song. <laughs> but that's fine, that was the hit, that was the big one.
0: Yeah, she just couldn't take you off that one because she had done the key part of the track.
1: And the funny thing was... I went back with Elton. Now, I was initially with Elton from 85 through to 88. And then he needed to take a break. Um, and he he took his break and asked me if I'd go back. I couldn't go back. I was um, engaged with Rick at that time, working with the fruit Wakeman. I couldn't go back. I kicked myself because I wanted to go back, you know, but I couldn't. So eventually in 1996, I got a call while I was working with Fish. I got a call. Um, from Elton's management, from Davy Johnston, in fact, and he said to me, um, our bass player's had a bit of an accident. He's been hit by a truck and he's broken his legs. Can you help us out? I said, yeah, great. I'd love to help you out. So we had a bit of America to do and South America. I hadn't been to South America, so then I was working with Elton again for, I think it was about three months. One of the gigs we did was in New York at the VH1 Awards. And Prince was on stage I was delighted that he walked past me When I was <laughs> standing at the side of the stage But so were the pretenders They were on the same bill And Elton said to me I think I'll go down and say hello to Chrissy. And I, I, I said Don't oh, I've worked with her I said him, He said, well come with me <laughs> Well we went along to her dressing room And he knocked on the door And this big bruiser A big bouncer guy Opened the door and Elton said, I've come to say hello to Chrissy. He says, one minute. And he closed the door. And Elton's looking at me as if to say, what's going on? And he came back and he said, uh, Chrissy's got a headache. And <laughs> slammed <the> door. <laughs> And Elton just looked at me and burst out laughing. You know, a stifled laughter. And um, I thought that was really funny. You know, you don't do that to Elton John, but Chrissy did. <laughs>
0: we get to about the mid-90s now we're touching base back with your solo work we've got a a track from your fragments album scots were here so was was much of that material getting in touch with scottish folk songs or poetry and and that that was something that was close to your heart really yes it was
1: my my dad was uh he used to sing around the clubs around scotland with his kilt singing all these scottish songs you know and he he had passed away and this was my tribute to my dad because he loved all these Robert Burns stuff. He used to do, I don't know if you've heard of it, but, you know, we have Burns nights where you address the haggis and there's specific pieces of poetry that are recited. My dad used to do all that stuff. So that was, this was just my tribute to my dad. Uh, I could never sing these songs in the way that he did, but it's my interpretation of uh, Scott's Way, which is a rousing Scottish song. I love
0: it. <laughs> So was that the whole album poetry that, that was... Uh... Yeah, most
1: of, most of it consists of uh, Burns songs, songs that were written by Robert Burns. There's a few things there. Walter Scott, for instance, he, um, he travelled the borders. A man who managed to write down musical form and lyrically, he would, he would go around the local people and get them to sing songs to him and he would document them so they were there forever. So from his time until now These songs are still there Thanks to him So uh, there's a couple of songs on there That he was involved in But most of them, as I say, are Robert Burns songs One of them was just a Robert Burns poem That I put my own music to And I'm quite happy with that
2: i Bruce as often as and stop. When Bruce has often led Welcome to your gory bed party victory.
0: Now We Have Too Many Ways, which is from an album of yours, The Search. I think we were covering that that uh, lost album that you made in 1980, which is associated with you starting out as a solo artist. Was The Search your way of rescuing the, the lost album that you made then?
1: Yes, it was. It was. Uh, I was told that the, the album wouldn't be released. It just so happens that a few of the songs... From that album are on the box set that came out as additional tracks, but I thought it's a shame because some of the songs are a good standard. So I wanted to record these songs again. And at that time, you know, but probably before my studio wasn't up to much. We we were using tape for recording. We could never replicate what was going on in professional studios. But suddenly, home recording evolved to the stage where you could. Um, put out a a decent sound album and and to a good decent quality so I was delighted to record this album and I was happy with the results and even now when I listen to it I think oh it still sounds good you know it doesn't sound like a demo
0: forward a few years i think to your 2007 album fellow man and the title track of that song is is another one of your great solo tracks and um I understand there's a bit of a s- sort of story of about that track and of the sort of spark of why the album was called fellow man in relation to you going to australia yes
1: i was invited to australia to perform magic in january on a show called countdown Countdown was the equivalent to Top of the Pops in Australia. They were doing this tour of the people that had appeared on Countdown. Well, I'd never appeared on it in person, but the video was played back uh, every week for 11 weeks, as you know. (laughs) So I went out to Australia. I had almost finished um, the album that I was working on at the time. I didn't have a name for it. I didn't even have that song, but I had about eight or nine songs and so I took my um, my reference pad with me to Australia and thought I could maybe work a little bit on it when I was out there. And I have a friend out in Australia who um, who knows a lot about the indigenous people out there. And he, he phoned me up and said he's he's in Sydney and he said oh there's a famous Australian his name is Uncle Max he's an aborigine he's going to be appearing at the ceremony and such and such a church, he says, would you like to come along and meet him? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. So um, I went along and I met Uncle Max and my friend introduced me and said, "Uh, this is David Payton. He's come all the way from Scotland, which is in the UK. And and Uncle Max said to me, oh, you've come a long way. And that stayed in my head. You've come a long way. So the song Fellow Man developed from that, but also fellow man meeting an Aboriginal, you know, it was. It just seemed, this is a fellow man, although we're miles and miles apart, not only in distance, but culturally and, and everything. So the idea developed from that. And when I sing the song, Fellow Man, the first thing I say is, you've come a long
0: way. And as you say, that's a phrase that can work in different dimensions, in terms of your own life, or the difference between people, or all literally from in terms of geography
1: yeah it works it works on all these um, areas yeah
2: as well enjoy it all Cause nothing stays the same And if we just destroy it all There's no one else to blame While the sun gives us the light Peace and love remain
0: We have under the sun I think from about a decade ago And i uh, reading about that one that The spark of that was um, a health scare yeah. and Reflecting after that Yeah, it was, um, I had a
1: heart attack uh, Which gave me a bit of a fright And I had a stent But I had the attack on a Friday So instead of getting the stent right away I was in hospital over the weekend Until they could fit the stent on the Monday And then I had to stay in hospital Another couple of days after that so you know you get bored. I don't know if you've ever been, <laughs> had a stay in hospital, but you get bored really quick <laughs> you know, after a day or two. You're climbing the walls, and and I just thought I was lying there just thinking. I just want my life back to the way it was. I want my freedom, and I want to be out in the sunshine. I could I could stand in the ward and look out the window and see people sitting about in benches and whatnot, but I couldn't do that. I wasn't allowed to do that, and I just wanted my freedom back. So I sing about what happened to me and you might think oh this sounds like it's going to be a bit of dirge but it's not it's a happy song it's it's yeah.
0: optimistic from the heart attack actually it, mm. it gave you an extra sort of vigor after that because you you're not taking for granted your situation you're actually savoring and cherishing the the moment after that
1: all these little things in your life that you just take for granted and then when your health's taken away it's uh, it it gets you thinking about it the most important thing really is to have your health yeah that's what I was reflecting on all the time I was in the hospital and when I got out I was just so delighted and taking things really carefully and then writing the song
2: Say
0: Next we have I'd Rather Be A Man, which is a, another version of originally an, an Alan Parsons project. But that's another song that you originally sang with the group? It is. I think I sang about four or
1: five songs overall within the ten years that I was with the Alan Parsons project. And the only reason I left was because Elton John came along and asked me to do it with him. I'd Rather Be A Man. Eric had written that song for a particular person who I can't mention, although I can say we were signed to Arista Records. And um, that's all I can say about it. <laughs> and he got me to
0: sing it. I didn't share his views, but I did sing the song. What happened in relation to the studio with Alan Parsons Project? Did sometimes you sing guide vocals or anything like that? Or, or was it always a case of the, the final singer coming in and, and doing it?
1: I No, I would never sing guide vocals for somebody else to sing. It was always Eric would have me in mind for a particular song. Although I must add that, um, you know, of all the musicians involved in the Alan Parsons project, it's not often I build myself up and, and say, I've done this and I've done that. But my contribution to the Alan Parsons project was pretty substantial. It wasn't just a case of singing, playing bass. I would do a lot of backing vocals on a lot of the songs, and I'd also play acoustic guitar. So that's quite a contribution to make to an album, and, and be dismissed.
0: <laughs> it shows when you've re- remodeled those those songs, you know, relatively recently that it's it's a, a distinct part of the band's sound as it was 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 you. Well,
1: uh, it was certainly Ian and I. You know, if you hear an Alan Parsons song, there's always a a guitar solo that Ian has contributed, and there's a lot of people I've heard play the bass parts that I played on the project. And although they can they, they can play the right notes, that's when you play a bass or any instrument, you know you can give the guitar to me and I'll pick it up and I'll play it. Give the same guitar to somebody else, it'll sound different. It's, it gives them a stamp, you know. It's the same with me when I played bass. Give me a bass and I'll play the bass part. For the Alan Parson project, give somebody else the bass and play the same part, but it won't sound, you know, won't have that distinction.
2: Yeah.
0: we get more up-to-date and we get to your latest and, and new solo album, we have the track More To Life. For me, listening to that, it does have that Alan Parsons project feel to it. I don't know if that was something that you recognised, but you can actually see that,
1: Fred. I'd been working with Andrew Powell on a couple of ideas, and Andrew Powell was involved quite heavily with the Alan Parsons project in the way of orchestral arrangements, and he conducted the orchestra. Um, and Andrew said, you know, it'd be nice to write a couple of songs together. And immediately I thought, I'll project because of our connection with that. So I wrote More to Life with the idea of a song that I might use with Andrew. Yes, yeah, so I suppose I had the project in mind when I was writing the song. The subject matter is about some of the people that I've worked with who can be a bit of a pain in the neck <laughs> and and obsessed with the music to the point that, um, you know, they're the rude and dismissive to people and dismiss their family and whatnot. And I'm saying there's more to life than, than wanting to be famous. I must say that, that there's not many of them that are like that. You know, the, the, Most of the people I've worked with are a joy, down-to-earth people. There's just one or two that, that I've worked with. Recently that I just thought, no, this is not the way to live your life.
0: We get to the final track of both our podcasts. We're finishing off on another incredibly brilliant song and actually is a an interpretation. Is it Leslie Duncan originally did Love Song? Yes. But you mentioned your daughter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She's on this as well. She is, yes. The song was written, yes, by Leslie
1: Duncan. She wrote the song and sang the song. And when I was recording the second Another Pilot project, I wanted my daughter to sing... If I Could Change Your Mind, which is a song that Leslie Duncan sang on the Alan Parsons Project album. And I thought, well, oh, it's a bit um, theatrical sounding for Sadie. I'm not sure if she could uh, uh, interpret that song very well. So as an experiment, I looked up Leslie Duncan's songs and I saw a love song and I thought, what a beautiful song. Of course, I knew it from back in the 70s. And I thought, I think Sadie could interpret it. Interpret this quite easily So I asked her With a view to her singing If I could change her mind as well Do you fancy coming up And just having a crack at singing this song And she came into the studio I, After a week or so I let her listen to the song and, and she came in and she sang it First take I thought That's great But I thought I'd better do a, another couple of takes Just to make sure I did another couple of takes But the first take was the one that I kept and she's just she sings it so well, she puts her feeling into it, her emotion into it. And I just think, wow, a nice way a nice interpretation. I love yeah, it. song, I must admit, it's a
0: beautiful song. David Bowie did a version of it. So did Elton. Did he? Yeah.
1: Wow. <laughs> it's
0: all circular, isn't it?
1: <laughs> I, I didn't realise Elton had done a copy of, of it until somebody said to me that Elton had sung it. And I found it in, yeah, it's good. He loved the song as well.
0: So your new album, uh, people can get more information on davidpayton.com as well as getting it directly from davidpaytonsongs.com and is available from all the usual online and Dreaming. web shops. Yeah. One of the strongest of your career and some of your fans have already been getting copies. I assume you've had some great feedback from...
1: I have. I'm, I'm really delighted with the feedback on... This album that they're saying is the best album I've done, and that's that's great to hear at my age that I'm I'm still writing new songs that um, that people are enjoying listening to. And another good thing is a lot of the people have different choice for their favourite song. It's not always just the same song. That's a good sign that that's happening. I'm delighted, really delighted. Have you got any sort of plans for next year? I don't have any plans, although. We were in negotiation with another Japan for another pilot tour before COVID broke out. So I believe uh, my manager has, has begun to renegotiate things. He's in, at least discussing things with, with the Japanese again, and they're aware of this new album, and that's been well received there as well. So if I can get another tour of Japan with Pilot, I'll be delighted. It's a great place. To visit and as again it's another
0: perk, you know. I said this at the start of the first podcast, David, but what a pleasure and privilege to talk to someone as an artist of your stature and as a musician of your stature, and, and the people that you've worked with are it's top drawer ultimately, isn't it? A huge thank you from me. Thank you, Jason. It has been a pleasure talking to I've enjoyed the questions you've
1: asked
0: it's really nicely. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>
3: to say may well be simple but they're true until you give your love there's nothing more that we can There's no other way And now it's really